Welcome to Tilt Talk Radio. Today we're still down at the NAICC annual meeting and we're going to talk about the fall of soybean cyst nematode resistance. In our spotlight, we're going to talk about corn population with drones. It's getting better, so we'll talk about some advancements there. Egg History Minute, we'll talk about the history of dairy farming in Wisconsin. And for cool beans, that's corny, we'll have some current events. And in our You Applied What segment, see if I can trick these two into figuring out which one, which chemical doesn't belong. So with me today are Bill Schomburg. Hey guys. Todd Schomburg. Hey Matt and hey all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, with Tilth, all with Tilth Agronomy. So yeah, we're still down here in San Antonio. Uh, just wrapped up day two of the NAICC annual meeting. 70 so. degrees. It's great. Yeah. How's that feel, guys? It's a lot nicer than the uh, 30 degrees it is back home, so I'll take it. Uh, what do you guys think of the Riverwalk? It's right next to the hotel. Seems pretty nice. Yeah, San Diego is, or San Diego. San Diego, no, yes. Not yes. in that sand. San Antonio is a really cool, you know, just cool atmosphere. Got a river walk with bars and restaurants and all kinds of stuff right by a lot of the hotels. So that's cool. Some downtowns when you get to them or where you're at at conferences, you're out in some airport area or something really stinks. But it's pretty neat. Right in the mix of everything. <laughs> so you two uh, got pickled last night, and I don't mean you got drunk. <laughs> you guys took a, too. a pickle shot, which I thought was interesting. That's something we usually see. So how was how was that? No, we saw at a at just a towny bar that we were at, and there's guys getting a pickle shot. So we had one too. We had some, I don't know, just was pickled vodka with pickles with, in with it. With actual slice of pickle, yeah. yeah salt around the good. rim. I liked it, it. It was all right. I sipped it. Bill downed I it. I downed it. I just yeah. gotta get get her done. It was it was it was a kind of a sipper shot too. So it was all right. All right. Yeah, we had some barbecue yesterday, and now uh, tonight we went to bubblegum shrimp. So that was yeah. It was the first time for Bubba Gump, but Matt, you've been there before. You said you liked it. And yeah, it I did, right. thought they had pretty good food, and yeah. hey, we got to watch Forrest Gump in the background. Yeah. So that was <laughs> it's crazy nice. that they just looped that movie all day long. Like the workers there just got to be so sick of uh, Forrest Gump, you know? They got it all memorized. Maybe yeah, it's got to be hard working in a theme restaurant like that. Oh, that would be the worst. So all right, well let's get into it. So today, one of the better. Uh, parts in the conference that I thought one of the best uh, presentations was on soybean cyst nematode resistance. So uh, we're talking about an issue that impacts most of the Midwest, a uh, good chunk of Wisconsin, Minnesota, uh, I think all of Illinois has got it, and it's creeping out into the periphery as more soybeans uh, find their way into different states. We're seeing increased pressure from these little buggers. You know what else, though, guys? I think farmers are actually finding it, too, more. Like, we weren't looking for it as much as we used to, and now we're finding it. So, you know, now that we have it, we need to deal with it. Yeah, and I, um, you know, rotation, obviously, is is a way to deal with a lot of issues in in farming. And it can help. Um, The upside with soybean cyst nematode is it really only attacks soybeans. So when you grow, like, corn or wheat or other rotate other crops in uh, it makes it more difficult for the populations to grow uh, but unfortunately that doesn't yeah, or does them. it or does it matt though what about your cover crop knowledge hey we were talking we were? about that in our last podcast our yeah. cover crest and yeah 
Or Pennycrest, and that's a host as well. Yeah, apparently Crimson Clover and Pennycrest are good hosts uh, for it as well. So you have to watch, if you are doing cover crops, and you want to watch that in the rotation as well. Um, Pe- plenty of uh, Crimson Clover in our in our cover crops up in Wisconsin, probably, right? Yeah, it's one of the one of the main clovers, red clover, crimson clover. Uh, some guys, I think, are doing a little bit of mammoth red, even. But you wonder why crimson and not some of the other clovers, or you know, it seems quite specific. Yeah, and, and I don't know that. You know, that might just be the more common one used in some of these trials. Um, right. So we notice so, it or something, right? Right. right. Maybe all clovers do. I, uh, I can't say for sure, but. Matt, Todd, and I missed that meeting because we had another engagement. So what did they say? Is there good resistant varieties out there, or were they talking about other things? Well, so that's uh, kind of the linchpin here is so we're relying on uh, breeding and having the soybean-resistant, uh, soybean-cyst-resistant varieties. Um, but unfortunately, what we found um, as a result of this this talk was uh, like ninety percent, something like ninety percent of the resistant soybeans are all from the same family. So, if you think about in agriculture, we always kind of preach not using the same mode of action with herbicide all the time because you'll you'll gain resistance, and um, it's kind of the same thing with this, where we're we're relying on the same trait without getting any diversity. So, we're seeing that resistance starting to fail. What is that? family that we're relying on when you're saying that so the pi 88 788 family is the the main one that makes up out of like they mentioned i think there's 891 varieties and that's like 90 percent of them that's the one that's that's starting to falter yeah and look at i mean it says in the seed guides which you know which resistance it is so you can kind of track that and watch it so are they breeding the genetics into those better, in the resistance into the better genetics. So that's why we're planting them because we're planting the better genetics. Right. So um, when they're doing these these uh, breeding trials, they're usually not doing them where there's soybean cysts. You don't want to when you're doing comparisons. You don't want there to be negative effects. And what they what they said they're finding is you get better yields with the PI eighty eight seven eighty eight. <clears throat> Say not, that ten times fast, right? Pi seven eighty. So you, that one's the better yield. You're not seeing as much yield drag in a, in the agronomics. With, traditionally, and you're saying no soybean no cyst pressure with no soybean cyst pressure. But right. then, then when you compare the performance in the soybean cyst pressure, um, then the P King, which is another resistant variety, is actually performing better because it hasn't been used as much in the cycle so it its resistance is holding up better do you think it's pecking or peaking i i think it's peaking yeah, like the, the duck peaking, yes. and uh <laughs> and the stuff over in 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 asia so uh, at least that's how it was pronounced today. I, I believe it's mostly pronounced that way yeah so if we got growers out there that have lots of years beans on beans and maybe a really high pressure they're going to get better response from that peaking than they are the pi yeah if you're seeing yield losses from soybean and you suspect it's soybean cyst, I'd, I'd look into the varieties you're planting and, and maybe try to find some of these Peking varieties and try them out. Maybe they'll, you'll get a little better response. You guys done any cyst nematode testing in your fields at all? I've done some, and, yeah, it always seems like if you think it's there and you test it, it's, it's that. You know, it's a hard one because it's a hidden yield robber. 
So that one's always tough to know what you really got to deal with. And the other hard part is some, instead of changing from, you know, the PI-88788 to Peking, it's just better off not planting beans most right. of the time. Just just rotate. Lengthen your rotation. Yeah, rotate, rotate, rotate. But but it, that's not always the case either. So and Then you get a year like this, and so you can't even try to get that weed in, and you can't even get it in. Yeah. So And then just talking about the soil test, guys, remember that the Wisconsin Soybean Board gives every farmer two free tests. Yeah, I so believe any, it's two free tests a year. Farm, so. I thought it was even four, but I know you get free ones. So yeah, any farmer out there, you know, make sure you talk to your consultant about grabbing you some tests. And it's been nice. I always try to grab them um, in the fall, like last fall. You can grab them in the spring too um, for fields you know are going to be soybeans because that helps to, to manage around where in the past it seems like sometimes you'd be like, oh, I think that field's got soybean cyst, let's grab it at the end of soybeans, but usually you're rotating anyway. You're out a year, yeah. So it's kind of nice to see. The other nice part is a lot of times with that test, they will give you some of the other nematode yeah. counts. So in a way, you really should be grabbing a couple each year just to see where you're at. And one thing with the testing that they mentioned today too was um, more is better. So they recommend at least 20 cores, um, when you're taking the soybean cyst test, but feel free to go more and you'll get probably better, uh, more accurate s- soybean cyst counts. Uh, cause Do they want that subsample? You know, you take all 20 and you're sending that whole well, lot yeah, of soil. You're, you're going to mix it up and then and then fill your bag. But, yeah, okay. Um, make sure you're blending Just to it. catch spots that... Right, because it, it can be it. very... It yeah. can be highly variable depending where you're sticking your probe. You know, if you miss... A spot where they're heavy, you know, you could be an inch away from, you know, soybean cyst city, and so you'll get lower, <laughs> lower numbers because you didn't hit the right spot. So, are uh, they peeking around? I think they are peeking. Yes, they're hiding out. Got a hire. We've been hiring the PI to take care of it. And yes, we, we need to be more worried about the peeking. So, yes. all right. So when you're picking your varieties this winter, now look at that. Right, take a look at those different. Races or families, whatever you want to call them, and, and make sure you're picking picking the right one. And, and when it comes to resistance, that was uh, one of the last things I wanted to mention was uh, there is no standard to determine resistance level in the U.S. So if it says it's resistant or moderately resistant or, you know, so they have R or MR, there is no standard. So that's just kind of a, up to who's ever bagging the soybeans, uh, what they deem that level to be so um kind of a bogus number then really yeah i mean with or a bogus rating with the failures we're seeing in some of these you might think you're having you have a better shot at having that resistant variety and, and really it's it's not as re- resistant as you think so all right so let's move on then to our spotlight for today Todd, what do we got for our spotlight? Today for the spotlight, uh, while we're down here at this conference here, you always try to find out what's that new thing at the conference that everybody's talking about and just, you know, it's been drones in the past. It's been, you know, different tools, different softwares. Um, But one thing we're seeming to pick up a lot is it's not new drones this year. 
Um, we're kind of everybody's using the same old drones now. That seems to kind of weed itself out, out of the market. It's what can these drones do? And um, the biggest thing now is corn populations with drones. So using um, software and and stuff for the the drones to pick out individual plants um, after emergence till about V four, and it'll bring back a population, you know, to to the drone pilot. Um, I it it'll be in, it's neat because it's it that that can be helpful that we'll have a more detailed map of where your populations are at potentially for replant or some other things. Um, and it'll be interesting in the next five years to see who's faster, you know, man or machine, you know, can we do populations quicker in the four wheeler and just do it manually or could the machine, you know, the drone do it quicker. Yeah. For those replant acres, that could be huge being able to identify exactly how many acres you need to replant and, um, having that that zone basically that you could pull right into the planter monitor and go out and do it. That'd be pretty neat, guys. I mean, just how many times have we gone through fields and be like, "Oh, I think it's thirty percent, or I think it's fifty, and and really it's seventy five. Or I mean, that might be an exaggeration, but you know, you don't exactly know as a human exactly what percent it is. But now you get this picture, you get this right out there, and you can say, "Well, it's." 35% of your field here's what's going to cost to replant and you can easily get it get it in a monitor now with all this technology on these planters and they drive out to those spots they know exactly where they got to go it'll also minimize the corn we run over and wreck yeah and I I, I mean there were what three four different uh, softwares down here that had that capability and um, not only for consultants but the research end of things too with plots uh, could make life a lot easier for some of these research guys that are down here as well. So, all right, well, let's move on to our ag history minute for today. So we roll on down the river, listening to that lovely banjo music. So, <clears throat> today we wanted to highlight um, twenty. The last few years been been kind of rough on the dairy farmer, and so we look at how long dairy farming has been around in Wisconsin. So starting in the mid-19th century, dairying emerged as the most viable alternative to wheat. So Wisconsin was primarily wheat in the early days. Uh, a lot of wheat was grown, but it was wheat on wheat on wheat. And so guys would uh, kind of run the wheat into the ground, no rotation, meant uh, yields dropping and not getting as much from those crops. So Number of dairy cows increased rapidly in the second half of the century, so by 1899, more than 90% of Wisconsin farms raised dairy cows. So, Hence America's Dairyland, right? That's right. 90%. So for the last 100 years or so, we've been America's Dairyland, and hopefully we'll be able to continue on once we get through this rough patch, and, and hopefully things will be looking brighter, so... Yeah, good. It's sometimes good to look back, you know, on how good it's been, and hopefully we can keep that rolling. I know we've had a rough four years of dairy farming, but um, it is still America's dairy land, so that's good. They were talking quick one. They were talking about passion this morning in one of our meetings, yeah. and the guy showed a old farmer probably in the early days of tractors and the you know no cab, and they're pulling something and talking about how that farmer must have passion for farming to be out in the field. So I think these dairymen are the same way. They they have passion to milk cows and 
and produce milk for us and that's good that's good yeah yeah we want to see him succeed so good luck keep it up guys and we're we're pulling for you so well let's do our ad read thanks to all the tilthies out there for listening and if you like what you're hearing please go to naicc.org which is the national alliance of independent crop consultants and there you can find a list of a independent crop consultant in your area. Also, please go to tilthag.com. Um, that's a Wisconsin group of consultants, and um, we're happy to serve and help anybody that's out there. All right. Thanks, Todd. So now we're going to move into the cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Max ain't here to do his cool beans. I know. Or that's corny, and so the cool beans for today is uh, the governor of Wisconsin, Governor Evers, just announced he wants to help farmers and is proposing a $8.5 million package to go through the state, Senate, and Assembly to provide aid to farmers. And uh, the that's corny is, unfortunately, government is not usually effective in helping in the long term. only happens to be a short-term fix. So yesterday we talked about MFP and how that's kind of coming to an end um, with the tariffs, and now we've got state government trying to do kind of the same thing, kind of provide that short-term push, hopefully, to, to help through, but it doesn't always isn't always as effective as we'd hope. So. Well, I think with lower corn yields this year, any little bit will help. Yeah, no, lower lower corn yields, I think the, the quality of feed that these guys are going to be uh, putting in front of the cows here is, is not going to be what we w- would want or had hoped we would get out of uh, 2019. So it's it's definitely going to be a challenge, and hopefully they'll, they'll be able to help. So, All right, let's move into our final segment then. You applied what? What did you do? So as always, we're going to have four options here. So it was my turn to pick. And so <clears throat> I've got Dyrex, Carmex, Linux, and AATrex. So A-A-Trex. three of them. A-A-Ron. A-A-Ron. yeah. Three of these are similar active ingredients, and one is different. So what do you guys think? Which one? Well, AATrex is an atrazine. Yeah. Atrex. The, the diuretic sounds like a dire, diuretic, diuretic, yeah. diuretic. and the Carmex sounds like I, something I you put, put on your lips. lips. Yeah, just when I got some chapped lips. <laughs> so I don't know, I don't know what to tell you here. Linux sounds too not made up, so I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna go Dyrex. Dyrex. Okay. Yep. I'm gonna go with that too. Oh, ooh, I got you, boys. Uh, no. we, we're not you, good at this. No. <laughs> you you identified the atrazine, which is the outlier. Oh, um, oh yeah. Okay. The other three are actually uh, diuron, so they're a urea-based chemical used to kill certain weeds. So Dyrex, Carmex, and Linux are all diuron chemicals. So we did get it. Just just we opposite. were opposite. Yeah, you were on the right track. It's just. Atrazine was the outlier, so. Nice. All right. Well, that'll do it for today. We talked about soybean resistance and how we need to make sure we're doing a better job of managing our soybean varieties for that soybean cyst nematode resistance. In our spotlight, we talked about corn populations with drones and just kind of a push now of uh, several different technologies out there available for that. 
and hopefully that'll help us in the future. Ag History Minute, we talked about the history of dairy farming in Wisconsin. Cool Beans and That's Corny was uh, the governor of Wisconsin looking to help farmers with an aid package, but unfortunately that's only a short-term help, and long-term we're still going to need some things to turn around in the industry. And our U Applied What was Diuron. So we had three Diuron and one Atrazine was our outlier. So uh, thanks for being here, guys. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. And as always, happy farming.